HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey through culinary history. And, you know, I think across the country, I can say, if, if you know, I, I have a skewed view here living on the East Coast, but ramen has taken off like crazy. It's one of those, I don't want to say fad foods, but indeed it has sort of taken on a faddish-type popularity. And most Everyone, I'm sure, had their first introduction to ramen in one of those styrofoam cups or one of those little dry packets that you'd you know, dip in hot water. Hey, it got a lot of you through school, no doubt. <laughs> but ramen is a lot more than that. And if any of you have noticed in the recent um, popularity of the shops and stopped in and had a wonderful steaming bowl of Slurpee noodles in a ramen shop... How did this popularity come about, and what really, where did ramen really come from? My guest today is George Salt, who has written a wonderful book called The Untold History of Ramen, How Political Crisis in Japan Spawned a Global Food Craze. And George spent quite a bit of time researching this food, and I'm sure ate quite a bit of ramen. George is an assistant professor of modern Japanese history in the Department of History at NYU, here in the city, and he completed his doctorate at UC San Diego on the topic of ramen. He really took ramen seriously, and he he considers the the connections between political, economic transformation, and social reorganization of Japan in the modern era. We're not just talking about looking at the history of the noodle soup. I mean, there's a lot that goes on here. So I am so pleased to welcome George. Welcome, George, to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, George recently gave a wonderful presentation to the culinary historians of New York, but of course, not everybody could attend that, and they saw all the the 
the advertising and the notices for it and, and then all the responses on Twitter and the articles and all the magazines. So I'm, I'm really pleased to be able to give you time to talk about it again that our listeners all across the country, in fact internationally, can, can hear this wonderful story about ramen. Uh, so I'm going to start off asking... Well, how old is ramen anyway? Thanks. And um, it was a real pleasure giving that talk at the Culinary Historians. Thanks for inviting me in today, too. Um, but where does it come from? That's kind of where I started this whole project. And that's the first question I wanted to answer when I started the research. And it turns out there's basically three different versions of how you can explain where ramen originates from. It's, of course, uh, Chinese food originally that entered Japan. And the question of when it entered Japan and how it entered Japan is a matter of some debate. Um, there's one theory that it entered in the 1660s through um, basically a Ming scholar who was escaping China as a refugee. There's another theory that it entered in the 1880s with Chinese workmen who were cooking in um, Western-style restaurants which served Chinese food. And there's also um, a version that it started in the 1910s with a Japanese cook who basically uh, hired a lot of Chinese cooks from Chinatown to begin serving a new kind of food that was based on a Chinese dish but... Um, took on many new forms, new ingredients, and uh, new flavorings that made it more domesticated for Japanese consumers. And so there's three different ways to approach even the origin of this food. And uh, 1665, 1884, or 1910 are three different ways you could kind of explain how this food from China entered Japan and which group it entered through. Well, let's talk about the old dynasty story, because that obviously has you know, a lot of intrigue and, and history to it, if yes. indeed uh, you know, it, there's veracity in it. And our, but, our, but before we go there, yes. are all of the, um, the end products and dishes similar? Is there something that sets them apart from just plain old bowl of noodle soup? Uh, well, yes, ramen is very different from what had been served in Japan until that time. So until um, basically the introduction of uh, Western foodstuffs in in mass culture, which happened in the late 19th century, Japanese didn't eat too much meat. It was really um, a vegetarian and fish-based, marine-based food culture. So the noodle soups that were available in Japan were um, kind of vegetable and seafood-based soups. So that idea of ramen being a new food and what made it so different was really the meat that was used in the broth and the meat that was used in the topping. This is what made it a completely new form of noodle soup. And it is a very, very rich meat broth, usually Definitely. pork or chicken. Yes, and very salty and uh, very starchy as well. So these components um, really fit the new kind of necessities created by industrialization and Japan's entry into a, a new economic uh, kind of era that, that happened in the late 19th century. So all of this is connected to kind of global politics and how international changes affect food habits in Japan. So to you, that story is more interesting than the... That's the really kind of... Okay. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, you go I'll, there. Go no, there. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll go back to the 1665. No, no. If is, it, you know, I want to know oh. the, what, how the politics really influenced the food. Yes, and absolutely. So for the question of Japan, um, rice is really the main staple grain of Japan, and it has been for a long time. There are people that consume um, a lot of kind of sweet potatoes, millet, um, other kinds of grains. But rice has always had a special place in the Japanese kind of cultural history. So the idea of consuming a lot of wheat was very uh, foreign and not part of the Japanese um, eating culture until the late 19th century again when um, British and American food culture really entered uh, through changes in, in um, international relations that Japan was experiencing. So uh, the shift from basically a rice-based staple grain diet to uh, a diet that incorporates a lot of wheat flour was uh, made possible by 
first the um, interaction with America and Britain, and later, um, really, through the, the occupation after the war. I hate to jump ahead too far in time. No, but, no, that's understandable. Uh, the 1940s and 1950s really drastically transformed Japanese people's idea of what everyday sustenance is. And until that point, the idea of eating wheat flour-based noodles um, every day as a form of nourishment for workers was not too common, but really with the influx of wheat that um, happened with the American occupation in 1945 and then ending in 1952, um, the Japanese dietary habits changed drastically. So this is where ramen comes into the story, where ramen becomes something that's um, available really throughout the country um, widely to all groups of people um, as an alternative to rice, which was uh, scarce at that time. Well, I know ramen, um, in fact, on the cover of your book, you have a picture of a, a food cart. Um, yes. Do, was ramen originally sold from little stalls and carts, or yes. were there? was that because restaurants were no longer serving it? Uh, absolutely. So the food cart, or the yatai, is absolutely the origin of um, Japanese ramen. And until basically the turn of the century, uh, the early 1900s, uh, these food carts were selling soba. So it was a very common thing in Japanese cities to find noodle vendors, but they wouldn't sell um, Chinese-style noodle soups, which incorporated the meat and the broth uh, made of meat. So that really happened around the early 1900s, 1910s. And um, the, the push carts shifted from soba push carts to uh, ramen push carts. And then that's really the origin. But what happened is during the occupation period, um, because of the great demand for ramen, uh, a lot of these push cart vendors were able to convert their small stands into small scale shops. So the shops sprouted up all over. But some of the most famous ramen shops, um, the one that originated Sapporo ramen, the one that originated. Um, a lot of these regional specialty ramen come from these push carts that started really in the 1910s, 1920s. So the push cart is the, the site that um, this ramen phenomenon can really see originating from. Well, you mentioned the, um, the influx of American culture through the occupation and, and otherwise. Yes. Um, the... I have a question, and then because he's mentioned in the book, and my question to you is... What does General MacArthur have to do with the popularity of ramen? So General MacArthur has everything to do with the popularity of ramen. Um, and this is kind of counterintuitive, but the, the great food shortages that Japanese experienced in 1946 and 1947 created a, a, a deep political crisis in Japan where a lot of people um, were criticizing the occupation authorities, the American occupation authorities, and the Japanese um, bureaucrats who were basically inadequately managing the food system and the, the rationing system. So as the rationing system was breaking down and people were really criticizing the government and becoming politically anti-American to some extent, um, top government officials in Washington decided to um, send more wheat to Japan at the request of MacArthur. MacArthur was saying there's going to be a violent crisis in Japan if more food is not imported because we are at the brink of uh, starvation here. So as a result, um, top-level cabinet meetings were held, and food was shipped to Japan in much greater quantities than initially planned at the beginning of this uh, famine-like condition, 1946-1947. And when the ramen, I'm, I'm sorry, when the wheat flour arrived in Japan, a lot of it took the form of ramen noodle soup because um, small wheat millers were the ones in charge of uh, milling, and they would divert some of their um, wheat supplies to small-scale scale, uh, ramen stall operators. So this is really where you find the connection between um, mass-scale consumption of ramen in Japan and uh, the American decision to send a lot of wheat to Japan for 
basically political purposes, keeping Japanese、um, on track to be、uh, democratized and demilitarized in the way that the U.S. authorities、um, were hoping for. And then did、um, did they take up the agricultural practice of growing wheat, and did it grow? Uh, yes, well, actually, Japan grew、um, significant portions of wheat、um, all the way up to the '60s. So there was a lot of wheat grown in Hokkaido, and wheat was actually exported、um, until、uh, the 1960s, when、uh, the wheat imports from America became so cheap and so abundant that it became economically、um, basically irrational to to grow wheat in Japan. But until that point, there was an effort to grow Japanese wheat in、um, certain. Regions where the space allowed, but the the lack of kind of open space for growing things like wheat in Japan really hindered、uh, that that sector of the agricultural development. Well, then in your book you include、um, a lot of talk about ramen on the black market. What、yes. what happened to to create a black market for that?、Uh, so because of the、um, high demand for food and the scarcity of food during the war,、uh, basic goods became rationed, and so it became. Illegal to operate a restaurant in Japan、uh, during the wartime after 1942, and、uh, the occupation authorities, when the Americans arrived, they decided to keep the system in place because the food shortages were continuing. And the idea of having a restaurant operating where people were openly kind of congregating, congregating, and consuming vast amounts of food based on their economic means rather than the greater social need of the whole country was seen as a、uh, politically kind of damaging. So they maintained the rationing system and decided to keep. Uh, restaurant food vending outlawed until 1949, when food supplies、uh, were high enough to allow for open food vending. But because of this, people who were buying and selling ramen、um, between 1945 and 1949 were often jailed, and you have a lot of occupation records of、uh, people arrested and、uh, imprisoned for selling ramen or even buying just in、ramen. a stall. Even just, just in a stall, stall. these、mm-hmm. stalls were rounded up, and the operators were. Um, basically jailed in mass, and so you have these records of hundreds of people jailed, and a lot of them were selling ramen. Not all of them, but about twenty、um, percent, from what I found, of the of,、um, people arrested were selling ramen. From from the records I saw,、mm-hmm. it's not a complete kind of analysis, but. And then, and then when、uh, that was lifted. Uh, uh, But in like forty forty nine, yes, and so around fifty is when a lot of these street stalls become、um, open, openly successful businesses that are、uh, being erected in the suburbs,、um, which are which are re- being rebuilt as Japan's economy is rehabilitating. And of course, this has everything to do with、uh, the Korean War. The Korean War was a big part of the recovery of the Japanese economy because of all the procurement orders from the U.S. military placed、um, with the Japanese. So. As the Japanese economy recovered, ramen was being served、uh, more in、uh, shops and nice small-scale eateries rather than the pushcarts that had dominated、uh, the bombed-out cityscape in 1940s. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you grew up in Japan. I mean, you were born in Japan and grew up in Japan until you were about ten. Were、yeah. you surprised at this renewed or this new popularity of ramen in the United States? Absolutely.、Um, to be honest, I never thought this would happen. I, I started this as a project studying ramen in Japan and how significant this food was in kind of articulating post-war history and the Japanese sense of identity, especially in the post-nineties,、uh, the, the recessionary、uh, era. But to think that this would be kind of a global phenomenon where Americans were really excited about ramen flavorings and recipes—this is something I would have never predicted. Because I started this twelve years ago. Um, before 
um, these these shops really took off. Mm-hmm. And ramen was something that uh, Japanese businessmen kind of consumed when they were doing work in America. And so you had small shops that catered to Japanese expatriate businessmen. But there weren't too many shops that had American customers enjoying the food. And so this is something that was really kind of a new development for me and very interesting. That's why my last chapter was um, something I wrote uh, basically after 2009, after I finished my degree, because um, these are all new developments that I hadn't really accounted for while studying the Japanese um, the role of this food in Japan. Right. Well, as I always say, everything old is new again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, so we're, true. I'm going to ask you some more questions about ramen, um, specifically um, in America, too, right. when we come back after a brief break. You are listening to Favorite Flower by Pamela Royal here on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more from A Taste of the Past. program is brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. Hi, we're back um, on A Taste of the Past, and I'm talking with George Salt, the author of The Untold History of Ramen. And George, what basically is the difference between ramen and a, oh, like a Chinese or Japanese noodle soup, or say soba or something, what's the, the noodles always seem a little different. What's yes, there's an alkali component or what they call kansui, and I was corrected about this. I actually made an error last time. I was talking about how it's alkali laced noodles, and um, it's it's actually a little bit more complicated than that. It's a uh, part sodium carbonate and part sodium potassium, and those two things put together with water give it an alkalinity, which gives like uh, we would make a. a, a a cake, a cake dough exactly, or something. Exactly, it's like baking soda, but um, springy and, and springy. puffy. Right? And that's why the ramen noodles are a little chewier, and they're uh, a little yellower, and they have 
uh, a distinct odor that ramen shops give off, which is very separate from soba or udon or the other kind of noodles that are popular in Japan. Mm. Well, I mean, it really became so important in um, not only the economy as yeah. it grew, but in you know in practical reasons, health reasons, and nutrition. I mean, it was yes. a nutritious dish, right? Absolutely, it was considered um, much more filling, and it filled up the um, the caloric demands of the heavy industrial workers. So there was a lot of construction happening in Japan in the 1950s and 1960s, um, just as the economic reindustrialization of the country. Uh, went forward, and that really meant a lot of workers from the countryside come into the city in the agricultural off season to build the new skyscrapers and construct the new roads and highways and waterways and all this uh, construction was, in a sense, fueled by a lot of the cheap wheat flour that was coming in from Australia, Canada, and the United States、um, at preferential rates because of、uh, the Cold War agreements between Japan and、um, America. But basically, the cheap wheat flour really.、Um, Reindustrialized the the economy by satisfying the demand for high caloric food among workers, and so it was the wheat flour, the oiliness of the soup, and the meat. And the it was、dish. a quick quick meal. You, could, you know, didn't、quick. have to take time off your work, right? Definitely, and it was usually affordable too. Yeah.、So. Well, even the wheat、um, you mentioned the the wheat that was coming in a lot of it was black market wheat.、Uh, yeah, that was during the.、Um, Occupation period when when restaurant vending was outlawed. So until forty nine, there was、um, uh, illegal wheat trade going on、uh, mm. behind the official wheat trade, which was、um, not enough to、uh, cover the food needs of the entire populace. But after the fifties, it became、um, completely legal to to eat ramen. It wasn't a black market operation anymore, except for unlicensed pushcart vendors, which remained a well. That's always a problem.、Yeah. Exactly, it's always <laughs>、yeah. a problem, and that's that's something that remains actually in Japan. You can find a Kind of push carts that are still unlicensed that do sell ramen, and they're some of the best places to enjoy the dish, even、mm-hmm. though they're getting harder and harder to find. Yeah, well, something of course did occur that changed the whole landscape of ramen as we all first knew it, and、yes. that was the invention of these of the dried the dried packets. Absolutely, in 1958,、uh, the first instant ramen was released. It was called、uh, chicken ramen, and it was.、Um, Sold at a department store to great fanfare. Housewives were lining up,、um, eager to try this new product, and it was a sign of the novelty of the technology. Really, something you could con- reconstitute in two minutes. They said initially. Later, they said three minutes. But at <laughs> first, it was two minutes. And also, they market as a health food in the beginning. Believe it or not, they said this is packed with vitamins, packed with nutrition. It's a complete meal, even though it only takes three minutes. And this is something you want to give your children. With that little flavor packet, <laughs> absolutely yes. Well, the flavoring was actually incorporated into the noodles in the very first、uh, version, so that、uh, was、um, already kind of part of the the crispy noodles. But、um, yes, 1958. So was the original in the 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 that flat cake form of the noodles? Yes, you know with the, that the stiff thing you try to yeah the pillow yeah. of of noodles. Well, it was a little hard for a pillow, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> and then、um, and then it segued into the the cup of soup type. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was a 1971 that was released,、mm-hmm. and、uh, it was a little bit later. But that's really the kind of iconic、uh, instant noodle that Americans usually think about when they think of the instant version, the cup of noodle、mm-hmm. uh, soup. Even though、um, there's top ramen that was、uh, released earlier among Americans too. But, well, I know you had some in、um, a presentation. I, I saw that you had some wonderful slides that showed、um, ramen, the ramen museum. Yes. That, Uh, I can't believe there's a museum totally devoted to ramen. It's an amazing place. It was established in 1994.、Um, it, it, it cost 38 million dollars to build, and there's nine ramen shops that、uh, you can 
try their food there, and they they chain they rotate different ramen shops in the museum every couple years. So um, it's always the top stores of Japan. But it's a nice way to taste ramen, learn about ramen. And also buy some packaged ramen to take home.、Um, oh, and there's all these colorful displays of you know cartoons and activities and fun things for the kids. There too, is、right? uh, because it's made an image of 1958 Tokyo, and again 1958 is this crucial year for ramen because it's the year instant ramen is released, and、um, it's also the year when Japanese were still seeing themselves as、um, kind of the best days are ahead. The economy is about to grow, and、uh, catching up with America is still a, a goal that is very seriously. Considered by workers in the time, so、uh, 1958 is a, a moment of nostalgia, and they they rebuilt、um, Tokyo to look like it was 1958 Tokyo in this ramen museum、um, to take you back to that moment when the future was still bright and ramen was、um, available everywhere.、Uh, well, who, now is is it true that Momofuku is the one、um, attributed with? Actual inventing the the instant ramen. Yes,、uh, so he's the founder of Nishin Foods Corporation,、mm-hmm. and、um, oh, that's and those are the packets that we first knew. From, definitely, and still do and still see. They're they're the world's、uh, top producer of instant ramen, and they do a lot of good work、um, in terms of disaster relief. But definitely,、uh, they were the ones that popularized instant ramen, and、uh, in 1958, they. Released it to create fanfare, but there is some debate about whether they actually invented the、uh, instant ramen or not. There was another company that invented it, a very similar product, and released it two years earlier,、um, but it never took on, and they didn't patent this technology, so they never actually got、ah. credit for originating.、Uh, but that was Matsuda Sangyo, and the product was re-released later as a snack, which is broken up、um, flavored instant ramen, which is、uh, known as Baby Star Ramen. You can still buy it today,、hmm. but.、Um, Yeah, they never got the the press and the launch that Nishin Foods was able to enjoy. Well, in, indeed, I mean, a food that is so popular that they erected a statue to Momofuku. Yes, I mean that's, that's amazing. There's instant <laughs> ramen, not in- just instant ramen museum.、Right. Yes, so、yeah. there's the ramen museum and then the instant ramen museum. And the instant ramen museums in Osaka, but the ramen museums in Tokyo. So they're both definitely worth、um, checking out. Interesting. So are, are ramen shops still? Popular in Japan as they are here in America today. Absolutely,、um, they are. But it's interesting as the founder of the Ramen Museum wrote a book a few years back called、um, "the The Day the Sun Sets on Ramen,"、hmm. and he was basically lamenting the twilight of passionate ramen consumption in Japan, saying people don't drive three hours to taste a new ramen anymore. People don't line up、um, as much as they used to. And all the ramen that used to be so distinct regionally are starting to taste more and more the same. So there's a homogenization of the flavors that is、uh, worrisome. So he wrote a whole book basically saying maybe the great heyday of ramen consumption is over in Japan already. And this was happening right at the time when、um, American ramen fanfare was taking off to new heights. So there's kind of a, a baton. Passing, if you will, or something like that. Or maybe he, maybe there's going to be a new, renewed interest in maybe, Japan. Yes, maybe it'll go back to Japan. Well, and、stuff. you brought up the regional variations, and I found that really interesting、um, because there are distinct、uh, types of ramen served in different areas. Can you tell me、yes. a little bit about that? Yes. So、um, each area had a different type of ramen developed,、um, and so for example, Sapporo ramen in the north has、uh, miso flavored ramen, and their noodles are thicker. And they usually use some kind of garlic in the soup, so that's considered sapporo ramen. And people say it's because it's cold there. You want something even saltier than you would find in Tokyo, and the noodles have to be thicker to absorb that extra hearty soup. And, and is it a pork broth, or is it primarily pork, uh, primarily、yes. pork? Okay. So,、uh, oh no, I'm 
So that would be chicken. I'm sorry, I'm confusing okay. it with uh, uh, Hakata ramen. Hakata ramen is uh, pork broth and thin noodles, and that would be from Kyushu. And people in Kyushu tend to prefer um, pork based broth, not chicken based broth. And that's the one that is very popular in America, where it's a milky white soup with a heavy pork bone uh, soup component. But that's also、um, a, a regional specialty of the southwest of Japan. And in the noodles there, they don't put、um, alkali in the noodles. So you don't have the springy, chewy yellow noodles that you do、um, in other parts. But Hokkaido is perhaps the opposite, where you have very、um, high alkali content in the noodles. So they're very chewy and springy. And that's considered、uh, the distinct specialty of that region's ramen. So in the 1980s, people began traveling around the country to taste different. Regional ramen in Japan, and they would write about it. They would televise their experience on reality TV, gourmet shows, and a lot of things were basically pointing to、um, the, the regional distinctiveness of these different ramen. And again, the founder of the Ramen Museum saying that kind of passionate consumption is waning in Japan, so he's a little concerned.、Mm. Well, I know there was、um, concern for all the new ramen shops in,、um, in well, Especially in New York right now,、yes. is that the hot summer is coming. And who wants to stand over a steaming hot bowl of ramen with hot summer? But there is an answer, right? Absolutely. And, and summer ramen is all about late, late night ramen, actually. So the idea originally is again, the push cart being the original site、um, after drinking routines require some kind of heavy charge of carbohydrate infusion. So that carby, would be greasy, carby gre- food, right? Exactly. <laughs> and that, that was the role that ramen was supposed to serve. So there is a role for ramen. And, Uh, late summer night eating, I think. Yeah. But there's a cold ramen dish as well. But is that not really a true ramen?、Uh, no, that's great.、Uh, to, hiyashi chuka is one of them. Or they also have like hiyashi ramen, which is another thing that's more popular these days. But、uh, yeah, summertime is all about hiyashi chuka, or at least it was for me when I was growing up. That's good stuff.、Hmm. Late, night, <laughs> late night ramen. Late、right? night ramen. You're a late、too. night ramen man. <laughs> Well, there are certainly so many interesting、um, stories that, that surround ramen. And I'm sure the one about the old dynasty, which we do have to touch on a little bit because I,、yes. I, I teased you know, the,、uh, the topic. All right. And it's not, I mean, since it's such a popular food for a country, I'm sure that having this very decorative type of important story kind of elevates it a little bit. But、uh, tell us a little bit about that story. Absolutely. So、um, in 1987, a food historian called、uh, Kosuke Keiko wrote basically the first book examining the history of ramen in Japan. And she said that、um, there was a scholar from Ming China who escaped to Japan in the 1660s whose name was Ju Shun Shui. And he、um, lived with、uh, Mito Mitsukuni, who was a feudal lord of Japan, and he was second in line to the shogun. Now,、uh, Mito Mitsukuni employed Jushun Sui as an advisor, but it turns out they both loved noodle soup. And、um, Mito Mitsukuni, being an avid consumer of udon,、um, which of course was the thicker wheat flour noodle with a, a marine based、uh, soup flavoring, wanted to enjoy a new form of noodle soup. So Jushun Sui prepared for him what he thought would be、um, a more tasty version of the noodle soup, which was.、Uh, Basically, five spices incorporated into the udon that Mito Mitsukuni was eating. And、mm. so these five spices collectively were known as a、uh, ushin, or five spices. And this became、um, the definitive component of Mito regional ramen. So Mito regional ramen became known as ushin ramen. But Kosuke Keiko's account of how、uh, Jushun Sui introduced udon's five flavorings to ramen,、um, to udon in 
uh, Japan became the origin story for uh, how Chinese noodle soup was introduced to Japan in the 1660s. So this is a very roundabout way of telling how um, the first Japanese person to consume Chinese noodle soup ended up doing so. It's a very circular kind of narrative. Yeah. But well, of course, it had to be somebody of power, or it wouldn't have exactly <laughs> wouldn't yeah. hold any any uh, any broth. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's um, very interesting to to learn about those minor differences of of the soups. I'm not minor to some people, but right. um, but something that I, that we haven't mentioned is that the what really differentiates it from some of the other, like the udon soups and things, yes. are, is the addition of meat. Correct? Yes. Um, the chashu, which is the roasted pork, um, sometimes it's uh, stewed pork, but that's really one of the components that really makes uh, Japanese ramen different from anything else that had been served in Japan until then in terms of noodle soup. Mm, so you do have a complete meal in a, in a bowl. Right? That's the idea, yes. And that's why vegetarian ramen is very much... Uh, not com- very uncommon in Japan. It's, it's oh, it hard is. to find a good yeah. vegetarian ramen. Although there's some excellent vegetarian ramens that they, that here in America that they've adapted, obviously, to, get, to capture that market. It's but, very impressive, yeah. yes. Yeah, but, um, but the original ramen does yes. not, is not vegetarian. It not be a vegetarian yeah. dish, yes. Interesting. Well, I don't know about you listening in, but I need a big bowl of something <laughs> salty and full of carbohydrate noodles and, and maybe a couple slices of meat. George, yes, thank you so much, George. Thank Salt, you, the author of The Untold History of Ramen. And thank you for listening. This has been A Taste of the Past, and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.